It's uh, 1989, but unfortunately it is January. I feel like that's all I need to say. January sucks. This is Deep Star 6. Video Store Wasteland. Alright, hello and welcome back to another episode of Video Store Wasteland. I do apologize for... I guess my long period of absence, but, uh, you know, work, work, like actual work gets in the way. Uh, thank you all those who, uh, continue to, you know, wait for me to come back and so you guys can hear my, my marvelous voice, I guess, uh, which <laughs> it's the only thing that got going for me. Don't look like I'd have any guests or anything anytime soon. And uh, since I am talking about a movie released in January, which uh, let's just say that January has a very poor track record in terms of movies released in that month. I was looking into even, you know, the year this was released, it honestly didn't get any better. Uh, So Deep Star 6, like I said, released in 1989. Uh, And let's start how we always start. Let's look into 1989 and movies. And let's change it up a little bit. Let's go with the top 10 grossing movies of that year. We got uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Tim Burton's Batman. I'm Batman. Back to the Future Part 2. Better that I devote myself to studying the other great history of the universe. Women. Look Who's Talking, the first one, which uh, I have a little theory about that movie, but we'll talk about that if we ever get to it. Dead Poet Society. Seize the day, boys. Lethal Weapon 2. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Ghostbusters 2. The Little Mermaid, the animated one from Disney. And Born on the Fourth of July, which, you know, is actually a pretty good movie. I saw that recently. Um... But yeah, that's the top 10 grossing of uh, 1989, which, you know, I have seen all those as a kid. Trust I was born one in the 90s, not too far. Those are, wow, now that I think about it, those are really young movies by the time I watched them. It's like somebody watching something that came out like 10 years ago now, you know. So someone showing the kids something that came out 10 years ago now. Anyway, uh, other movies in 1989, we have Uncle Buck, always a classic. Gotta love him. Gotta love John Candy. Uh, we got Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Puppet Master. UHF, which is a classic. I mean, if you like Weird Al, if you like that sort of, you know, comedy, that's definitely up your alley. I'd say you'd watch that and watch that now. Uh, say Anything, which classic rom-com. Gotta love it. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which, by the way, came out in February of that year. So, I mean, January, what the hell is up with you? Um, we have Halloween 5, since we've already talked about one of the Halloween movies. Here's another one. <laughs> Karate Kid 3, which doesn't even have <laughs> the kid. He's not even the Karate Kid. It's like Hillary Swank. I have no idea what the hell they were thinking with that one. And uh, <laughs> then we got Friday the 13th Part 8. Jason Takes Manhattan, which, judging by the title, just sounds like a Muppet movie because I've, that's, I think that, that is a Muppet movie. Muppets Take Manhattan. I mean, come on. Uh, then we got Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, which, eh, you know, the third one, if we're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, third one's definitely where it's at. Uh, we got Weekend at Bernie's. 
you know what, I was about to say something and it would have been topical. And you know what? Not going to do it because fuck it. We got the Burbs with uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, Pet Cemetery, which is a, you know, Stephen King, uh, well, Stephen King adaptation. And, you know, it's pretty good. Not the new one kind of, the remake or whatever the hell came out like a year or two ago kind of sucked. The Abyss, uh, which is directed by James Cameron. And then we got Major League with, uh, well, (laughs) Major League with uh, Charlie Sheen. I don't know why I was going to call him Tommy Sheen, but no, Charlie Sheen. And then, uh, Speaking of rom-coms, we got the best one that's ever been made, When Harry Met Sally. I mean, <laughs> come on. If you just like good cinema, that's once where it's at. Uh, but uh, actually a little bit about the abyss since we're here, since it's already been mentioned. In 1989, uh, there were <laughs> three or four movies uh, released sort of about the same thing, about an underwater creature attacking like a, a science lab and all that. Uh, Leviathan, uh, The Abyss, like I said, James Cameron, and Lords of the Deep. Uh, I have only seen The Abyss, and yeah, that's the only, that that one's way better. Uh, But, you know, really quick, since I am the master of cursory research, uh, let's see this one really fast. While we talk about other things about Deep Star Nine, um... It's a pretty good year, 1989, I guess. Anyway, let's move on to the cast and crew of this movie. Uh, let's just say most of the people before and after this uh, movie were... I think, yeah, most of the people were before and after this movie were TV TV actors. Uh, at least they worked, so there's that. But then they didn't really cross over into film too much. Um, we got Greg Evigan, who plays McBride in the movie. He does a lot of TV movies, TV shows. He was in a TV show called My Two Dads, which, just looking up the, the synopsis of that is just ridiculous. It is a show where a woman dies, and she leaves her kid to her two ex-boyfriends, who are complete opposites of each other. So, I mean... When you think about it, really, like, why, why, <laughs> how much and how good was the drugs they were on when they thought about that? Because it is kind of, kind of a silly concept. Um, and then he was also in a show called BJ and the Bear. Um, but like I said, Greg Evigan, mostly known for his TV work. Uh, he did do, I guess, the stage production of Grease where he played Danny Zuko, but like, you know. Uh, unless unless you're really big into Broadway and musicals and, and the like, you probably wouldn't know the name Greg Evigan. Uh, then we have Nancy Everhard, who plays Joyce Collins, who is the second lead in the movie. Um, both characters of Brian and Collins kind of form like a romantic pair in the movie, but like we'll get to discussion later about it. Anyway, she was in the Punisher movie from 1989, uh, Another 48 Hours, which is a sequel to 48 Hours. Uh, the Untouchables, which is a TV show about gangsters and yeah, the old the old gang. I know it's about Elliot Ness. So I mean, I don't know what era that is off the top of my head. I, I should know. Uh, it's yeah about Elliot Ness. <laughs> uh, she was in Jag, uh, mostly TV, and she was in Everwood, which brings us to another Marvel connection, I guess. Which is actually two of them in here. Um, 
We have Torian Block, uh, Black, who plays Laidlaw, who is the captain, I guess, of the shift. He was, uh, again, mostly TV. He was in Hill Street Blues. I think that was most his, his starring role, and that's where he started mostly. Then he did voice in Oliver and Company, which is a movie I remember fondly. And then he was in Rocky II, which is arguably probably the worst of the Rocky sequels. Um, Anyway, then we have Miguel Ferrer, who uh, plays Schneider in the in the movie. Uh, he was in he's, he's this guy who who's more known and has done more work because he uh, he's was in Traffic, he was in Crossing Jordan, he was in RoboCop, Hot Shots Part Two, Twin the Twin Peaks reboot, not the original. He was in Iron Man Three as the Vice President of I guess the world they were living there. He was in Halo 2, for all my video game fans, as the heretic leader. He was in Mulan, uh, the animated show, movie. And he's actually also the namesake for Miguel O'Hara, who is Spider-Man 2099. He was uh, friends with that comic uh, writer. So, you know, his namesake for that. Uh, which... If you want to know a little bit about Miguel O'Hara and Spider-Man 2099, go ahead and watch the trailer for the new Spider-Verse movie because he is going to be, I guess, the... I mean, it's a Spider-Man, so I wouldn't say he's the villain or anything, but um, he's definitely going to play antagonist to Miles Morales in that one. And it's voiced by Isaac or Oscar Isaac, so, I mean, pretty good pretty good choice there. Man, Man has a good voice, great beard. Uh, then we have Nia Peoples, who plays Scarpelli. Uh, she was in Walker, Texas Ranger. And tell me why this is, you know, today <laughs> I find out that Walker, Texas Ranger was a show from the 90s and not from the 80s. Ran from 93 to 01. I, <laughs> for some reason, I thought that that was an 80s thing since it is, uh, you know, Chuck Norris. But uh, besides the point, she was also in Fame. Uh, Pretty Little Liars, Pretty Little Liars, uh, Young and the Restless, and The Fosters. Um, then we got Matt McCoy, he plays Richardson, and the only reason I bring him, well, the next two people I bring up because of the one thing that I know them from. Uh, this dude, Matt McCoy, plays Lloyd Braun in Seinfeld, and the man is crazy. If you <laughs> if you watch the show, you know. You know, he was in a mental institution. I didn't read his resume. And then we have Alia Baskin. Uh, he's from the former Soviet Union. He plays Dr. Brusiaga. Uh, and his other work that we know him from is from Spider-Man 2 and 3, where he plays Peter Parker's landlord. We can all agree that that guy sucks. Just let Peter stay. Rant. Not now. And then, uh, you know, that rounds out the cast. Because the cast is... The, the movie is very... Uh, I mean, it is low budget, and it also takes place in one location. So, you know, think think less massive scale water operation, and think more like Alien, which we get to in a little bit. Um, crew, and we have director Sean S. Cunningham, who, as director, did Friday the Thirteenth in nineteen eighty, the first one. He did uh, Spring Break, which is a movie from nineteen eighty three, and then we have a movie called Case Full of the Moon, The Case of the Full Moon Murders. It sounds interesting. I'm, I'll probably check it out, but honestly, you know, being so, uh, I am kind of a fan of movies with long titles, but they're very, very much so either 
take all their, you know, kitsch or appeal from the long title or they suck. Uh, <laughs> uh, but as producer, he did the first Friday the 13th. He did Last House on the Left, which was directed by Wes Craven. He did Jason Goes to Hell, Jason X, and Freddy versus Jason. So the man just, you know, attached himself to the Friday the 13th series because there's <laughs> like 13 of this, I think. Um, way more than the Halloween series. I think Halloween's only up to 11. That one's up to 13. Uh, and they're, I don't know if they're going to make more. Who knows? Hopefully not. We need a new, we need a new monster. We don't need Freddy. We don't need Jason. We don't need Mike Myers. We need a new guy. Uh, then we got, uh, writers, Louis Abernathy, who did other than this terminal invasion, which was a TV movie directed by, you know, Cunningham. And then we have Jeff Miller, who, Really only did this, did this. So the writers really, you know, in terms of screenwriting and writing for film or TV, really only done this or, like I said, that other uh, Cunningham TV movie, not, not, not a full feature-length theatrical release. But um, we have them. And then we have Mario Kasser's producer, who, you know, does a lot of the... Uh, 80s action movies, so he did like Universal Soldier, Total Recall, the first three Rambos, but the man also said okay to Terminator 3 and Terminator Salvation. So, you know, grains of salt, because uh, 3 was all right, but Salvation sucked, and then I watched Genesis and the other one that came out, and I don't know, man. I don't know why I do that to myself. Uh, and then we have Henry Manfredini, um, no, Henry, Harry Mafredini, uh, who's the composer, who is most noticeably known, or, yeah, mostly known from uh, Friday the 13th being the composer for that, and did the theme for Friday the 13th, so wherever you hear that, thank Manfredini, so there's that. Uh, this guy, I, you know, the DP, I enjoyed more of his, uh, you know, filmography than anybody else, because he did, or Mac Albert, who's the DP of this one, director of photography, that's what DP stands for, who's, you know, director of photography is also the cinematographer, so it depends on what you see. Sometimes they'll put DP, sometimes the cinematographer. But uh, the guy did Reanimator, which, you know, I love that one. Uh, there's Beverly Hills Cop 3, did Good Burger. Welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I take your order? And he did uh, the Brady Bunch movie, uh, the black or, black or White music video, uh, the Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. See, in my notes, I have MJ. So I guess subliminally, MJ to me is always going to be Michael Jordan. But yeah, Michael Jackson, different Michael. Uh, Ghoulies and the Dungeon Master. Um, I believe Dungeon Master was done by Red Letter Media. So if you want to check out a review of that one, go ahead and go over to their YouTube channel and then stay for a while. Uh, let me have editor David Hanman who did Jason X and Footloose. That's the only reason I wanted to, to mention him because, like, you go from doing horror movies and all of a sudden you're doing Footloose. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's just weird. You just go from that to that. And a uh, couple of the effects guys that I did want to, uh, you know, just sort of highlight, mostly because there's a ton of them and a lot of them worked on all the horror movies you probably think of from the 80s because makeup people get around. And if you're a good makeup artist, holy crap, uh, <laughs> you know, 
Um, but we have Chris Wallace, who is the creature designer, uh, and I, I believe he designed the creature from this movie, but he also designed the gremlins, so there's that. He did design the, the fly. Uh, he was a model maker on E.T., and he consulted on Return of the Jedi, uh, which I know I shouldn't say it, but I know some people who you know, don't know what I mean when I say Return of the Jedi, but that's the technically number sixth in in the uh, Star Wars, uh, what is it, the Skywalker saga, or whatever they want to call it, whatever. Disney, yeah, fucked up. I, I know I know, I may be risking my future in this fucking industry, but Disney, you fucked up. Um, and then we have Mark Strostom, Strostom, who, you know, effects makeup on this movie, but he also did the effects makeup on Nightmare on Elm Street. I believe he also was the one who did most of the work on Freddy, or the design of Freddy himself. So if you like that one, there you go. That's your guy to thank. Then he did Phantasm and Evil Dead 2. So overall, in terms of general crew, I guess, they're more horror people. So that's what you I guess you can expect from from the movie. And that's kind of how I go into some of these movies is that I check who's the cast and crew, what have they done before, uh, and, like, what type of movies they've done before. And it's, you know, then you get kind of a feel of what it is. Because sometimes, you know, like I said, the guy who who's the DP on this, Mark Alberg, Good Burger, Brady Bunch movie, with Michael Jackson <laughs> music video. I almost said Jordan again. But Michael Jackson music video, there you go. I mean, like, guy is work. He, at least with him, you could tell he's trying something else because uh, Reanimator looks, I mean, it kind of looks like it belongs in the same era as this movie, but Good Burger, nah. Not the black and white music video, yeah, you could tell like it was this guy, but he did a good job on that, I think, because uh, I, I at least I remember the black or white music video or that it was a thing. <laughs> um, so before we get into more, I guess discussion of the movie and what it was uh you know just a little background i guess trivia stuff uh like i said before 1989 this is the first uh underwater creature movie that was released in 1989 the others of course being leviathan james cameron's the abyss and lords of the deep which you know at this point since i already talked about one of them i might as well talk about each and every single one of the others, because I think there might be two more that I'm forgetting. But um, speaking of The Abyss, uh, the writer for this one, Louis Abernathy, he sold the script for Deep Star Six at around the same time that James Cameron started working on The Abyss. And, um, you know, they went ahead with the (laughs) production, even though Cameron asked them to, to, to stop production so they can you know you know stop you know don't compete because i believe they were friends before uh, the movie before the movie and then that turned abernathy to persona non grata to cameron and anybody who worked with cameron so i guess that kind of explains why he hadn't done any work <laughs> uh but uh you know, they eventually patched things up when uh, Cameron took him down to go see the wreck of the Titanic uh, in 95. So, you know. Uh, well, I mean, there's that. Uh, and then I guess the other cool thing is that uh, Kane Hodder, who played Jason Voorhees and I believe 
the seventh one to the ninth one. Yeah, he did. He, you know, he was the he was stunt coordinator on this film. So, you know, there's that cool little, cool little uh, connection between people who have worked with each other. You know, being Cunningham, who directed at least the first one and produced. Uh, I don't. I don't know which number directly fucking Jason goes to hell is, because there's also Jason X, and I don't know if Jason goes to hell is before Jason X, because they just, cause, yeah. I'll I'll do a whole series on it, a whole series on Friday the Thirteenth, because if there's ten movies of it, I could get at least a two to three good episodes out of that, because you, you can combine some of the later ones. I think Jason X, you could do a whole episode because that's the one space, I think. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's move on to discussion of the movie since we've got background, all that going down for us. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. The movie tries really hard to be alien and... Uh, it looks a lot like Alien, and this is why I brought up some of the, you know, effects people. And I even looked through, <laughs> I looked through production coordinators, managers, associate producers, carpenters, you know, prop masters and all that. None, none of them, nobody worked on Alien or Aliens. Uh, and that really is surprising because it looks like the it looks like it. It, it. Deep Star Six has this look of Alien. Alien came out in '79, which was ten years before this one. So obviously there was that you know direct influence to it. And then Aliens came out in '86, which was three years before this, and well before you know it came out well before uh, Deep Deep. It's not Deep Space. It's Deep Star Six. Get it right, Brian. God dang it. <laughs> but uh, you feel like it just feels like it because um, all like the computers, they all look like they're right, right out of the Nostromo. All the the crew, they're kind of dressed like they were in, in, or dressed how the crew was in Alien at the beginning. Like they even have their own little like characterizations like they were in that movie. And... To me, it's weird because you think something, somebody who who watched those movies and wanted to create, like that had to have been the thought, right? Like if you if you've seen it, go ahead and go see it. I think, you know, at the time of the recording, it's still on Amazon for a couple more days. I'm not sure now, but you can obviously rent it. Deep Star Six, not Deep Space or Deep Sea. Trust me. Uh, Deep Star Six. Uh, if you want to see it, it's only an hour and forty minutes long. But uh, yeah, it's a hundred minutes and an hour and forty. Uh, but if 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 you're such a fan of Alien, just don't be afraid of just saying, "Hey, this is Alien, but underwater." If everything else looks like Alien, if like all the design of your habitat looks exactly like it were out of that movie. If your character design in terms of, you know, their wardrobe and even just how they act looks and feels like they're out of Alien, just go ahead and do it. Because 
trust me, you putting this movie into production before the abyss just to get blackballed by James Cameron doesn't do any favors because the movie sucked. I'm sorry, but you know, I understand that it does. It has achieved this um, position as like a cult classic, but unless you're going into it with that frame of mind that this is a cult classic and that's why you're watching it, then movie's not that good. Like I said, dude, January, January sucks for movies. January is absolutely right now since it is well. The time of the recording, it is December still. But go go watch trailers or go see what came out in January. It all sucks. If the movie stinks, just don't go. What am I saying? Just go for it. I mean, this movie honestly feels like it short sells itself in terms of drama. Or not drama, just sort of tension and thrills. That could have happened. It really uses the environments poorly because, like I said, it looks like alien. Use that environment. Use the like closed in cramped, claustrophobic spaces of this of this shelter that you have underwater to your advantage, like you were in space. You're underwater, man. Like if something blows up, that's it. But if you're there alone with this creature, you're like you got to figure out ways to, to work around that. Just like how you were in space, no one underwater can hear you scream because you die under that tremendous pressure. Uh, so, yeah. It tries really hard to be alien. Really, 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 really hard. I mean, the freaking creature doesn't show up till like an hour, hour and some into it. Let me check my notes really quick. It literally, I think it shows up right around the time where I wrote in my notes, will this, or when will this end? And that was an hour and six minutes. And I think a minute or two after that is when the creature shows up literally for a couple, the creature's in the movie, probably less than five minutes. And it's not like, oh, it's a Jaws. You know, we try to, we try to hide the creature because we couldn't use it to, you know, because the you know it didn't work, or an alien, where like oh we can't use it that much because it's obviously a guy in a rubber suit. Because you know if you if you pay attention too long to how the alien looks like in the first Alien, and it's or the Xenomorph looks in the first Alien, it is a guy in the rubber suit. It's very obvious. But in this one, like the creature design looks cool. It looks like a sea scorpion, like an ancient sea scorpion that's supposed to be large and all that. But like. It has eyes and threw me off, and there's a lot of moving parts to the suit. Like, don't get me wrong, when it first just pops up, I'm like, that looks fucking cool. It's 1989, even though the movie feels like it's from the 70s, but that looks fucking cool. Uh, but they don't ever use it to a benefit. They don't ever, like, tease you with it. It's just like, cool, it appears once, and then it sort of just goes away, and you don't even see a full body shot. I mean, yeah, I get it. You're creating a suit. But, you know, at that point, you may not want to show a full body shot of the creature, but, like, show me the full creature. Show me what I'm scared of. There's, like, these these people are, like, running around uh, against, like, an invisible menace that's, you know, that would have been cool to see because I guess the whole thing, the, I can't believe there's even a plot to this movie, but it's, uh, you know, it's... 
a Navy national defense team gets sent down there. They're there for like six to 20 months, depending on the person, right? And they're all setting up missiles. But one of the scientist ladies is like, hey, there's a chamber underneath here. Let's explore it. And they're like, oh, the Navy's going to kick out. And she's like, the Navy's going to kick us out anyway. Let's do it. Cool. But like, don't you think that's going to cause some problems with the local ecology there, sister? Like, uh, <laughs> it's just, just very short-sighted thoughts on, on plot. But uh, they uh, they do that, and that's, like, very, like, 20, 30 minutes into the movie, and there's a, still another half hour before a creature appears. Jesus, there's no pacing. Like, yeah, it's a cult movie because if you watch other cult movies vis-a-vis -vis The Room, you understand why they're cult because you're not watching it for its value as cinema you're watching it as value as a joke or as entertainment at that point and I, I mean i guess it's entertaining what i say watch it honestly if you're a fan of of alien i would say go ahead and watch it just because at that point well for me personally i do like watching movies that were influenced by by another movie because at a certain uh you could kind of tell that that influence that movies had because um so like after drive came out just speaking from experience uh there there's a lot of student films that were trying to be drive and uh neon demon which was the director's follow-up uh you know everybody got influenced by that and then after jurassic park there was tons of Tons of just dinosaur movies. If you go on sci-fi, you could tell, you could see that uh, you know they just have all sorts of movies. Like after Paranormal Activity came out, I swear, like every other freaking movie was was uh, found footage horror. Not even found footage horror. It was just a found footage movie. Kind of sucked that everything was the same. But anyway, uh, that's just that's just what it is. Uh, like I said, it does feel like it's seventy movies, even though it is nineteen eighty nine, which is odd to think about. Because the effects, they're obviously miniatures. Everything's a miniature. Like, it's not a bad thing to do everything in miniature. It's bad when you don't uh, hide the fact that it is a miniature. Because if I can go ahead and clearly see that that looks like a toy, and, uh, you know, miniatures aren't always toys, you know, in size. They're just miniature versions of whatever the hell it is. It could be, like, as big as a desk, still a miniature. you got to see all that detail on camera. This is 1989, right? Alien came out in 1979. That miniature work looks so much better. And then you have Escape from New York, which uh, in that movie is uh, the miniature work is when uh, Snake Plissken is flying over New York. All that is miniature. And that came out in 1981. This is eight years later. And I could tell you that Escape from New York probably had Let's just stick it right now. Escape from New York had a budget of eight mil, and uh, we have uh, you know Deep Star in with a budget of yeah eight point. They had the same freaking budget, dude. Just John Carpenter's a goddamn genius with the money he they get. Don't give, do not give John Carpenter more than ten million dollars. Trust me, he will make something amazing for less than ten. Ten, but like, what's going on here? 
Trust me, I'm very confused by Deep Star Nine to the point where I really wish I was watching something else. I really wish I was watching Alien the whole time because it just looked like it. I, that's all I had to say about the movie. Yeah, go ahead and watch it for, I guess, its value as a cult movie because I honestly, before before I selected the movie to, to watch, I didn't know it was a cult movie, to be completely honest. Like... Usually cult movies, even on, as much as I don't like using uh, Rotten Tomatoes as sort of a benchmark for, for these things, it's holding at 6% uh, critic and like 34% audience. Usually the uh, cult movies have a little higher audience rating there, but like, I don't if If you or someone you know is a fan of this movie, please, please get in contact with me because... I read just I just want to know why. <laughs> That's all my 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 aunt, my questions are going to be just why. Uh, but yeah, that's Deep Star Nine. Or, yeah, Deep Star Nine. I keep trying to say it, it's the wrong name, but uh, it is a glorious, glorious B movie. I can tell you that much. Uh, if you're going in for a B movie, yeah, go ahead, go ahead and enjoy yourself. It is, it is a B movie and. You could tell it is. You can't really tell B-movies nowadays because everything looks so goddamn good in terms of effects. That's how you were able to tell the B-movies before because, you know, they, they, they just didn't look as good as, as A-films, if we're going to classify anything as anything. But, uh, yeah, Deep Star Nine. Uh, go watch it. <laughs> I know I know this this review hasn't been very glaring, uh approval of it but you know what i i watched it you should just watch it and that's what how you should probably go into anything just do it uh so yeah deep star nine and uh i've been brian and this is video store wasteland <laughs>